And so if um, it's okay with your parents, you guys can go with Cindy, and they have a uh, video I think they're doing this morning. And so you guys can take part in that. I was supposed to say that before I started anything else. But. You know, first, my prayer is that, that, we will dis- that some and many might discover for the first time the beautiful plan of God's story as He's presented it to us. I, I pray that, as we dis- that we discover the Bible not just as an ancient book, but as a love letter that God has written to us, inviting each one of us to take part in His story, to actually be a part of the continuation of God's story. And my prayer is that you would experience God's great love for you and that you would see Him for who He is and discover the story of what He's done for you. Secondly, I pray that this will help all of us develop a framework for how the Bible is put together, how the story from beginning to end is structured so that we understand how all these pieces fit together. And so over 31 weeks, it's really a short time to cover the entire Bible. Uh, We're certainly not going to be discovering all the the details of every passage. We're not going to venture down every path. But uh, if if this 31 weeks was a house, uh, so to speak, um, we we won't be hanging sheetrock. We won't be painting the trim. uh, We won't be putting windows even in. But um, our, our goal instead is to help us to build that frame so that we are better prepared for the rest of our lives uh, to, to discover the riches that are found in the Bible. And so uh, we want to build that framework so that you can then put a roof on it and you can start studying the details of Scripture and, and discover a lot of the passages that sometimes maybe before you went, I, I never really understood how this fit, but now that I have that framework, I have somewhere to hang that picture. And then along with that, I, I want to encourage you to consider participating in, in some of the, the different uh, things that we have available other than just Sunday mornings. Uh, we put together several supplementary tools uh, for this journey. Uh, first of all, as Brian mentioned earlier, we have small groups that started this last week. It's not too late to join in on those and be a part of our small groups. Uh, some of them are actually doing a study that's parallel to the story, and some are doing uh, something that's in different books of the Bible uh, that will focus on maybe some of the more of the details of some of the sheetrock and the, the window trim. But um, also we have Sunday School for All Ages, uh, we have uh, Sunday School for Children and for our youth that's actually going to be a study uh, in the story and we'll be continuing from this sermon series. And then also I want to encourage you with our Bible reading program. Uh, we've put uh, two different tracks, and as we've mentioned before, you'll see those in your bulletins, but there's a card here. The central themes track is so that you can go through those, those main portions of Scripture, follow that main storyline that flows from Genesis to Revelation. You won't be reading every passage. You won't be going through all the genealogies and a lot of the details, uh, but you will get a, a main gist of that main storyline, the main characters throughout the whole Bible. And uh, we've included the first six weeks on here, and then with the uh, next volume, we'll, we'll continue to update those so that you have those available. And this will be the last week we put that in the bulletin, uh, but those will be up on the table as well. And then on the back, of course, you have the whole Bible track for those of you that would like to try to read through the Bible in seven months. And I know some of us are behind already, but that's okay. Uh, You don't have to do it per day. And if you miss one day uh, on your back of your sermon notes and and you're not on track exactly the way it is, that's all right. You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be perfect and you don't have to, uh, you can either pick up right where we're at or you can spend a couple hours and and catch up. But, um, But don't let that discourage you and make you give up on it. Anyway, all these tools are there for you, and I promise you that, that you will get so much more out of this series if you and if your family are participating in those, especially the Bible reading program. It, just, just reading through the Scripture 
And, and reading the Bible uh, al- along with this series will help you immensely and will be a great blessing to you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to break this into five volumes. The story we're going to break into five volumes with a brief interlude around Christmas time. Uh, volume one is going to be setting the stage. We'll take us through the first five books over this next six weeks. Volume two, Growing Pains, will take a look at the early history of Israel from Joshua to its first king. And that's going to take us through the end of the year. Uh, again, we're going to take about a three-week interlude around Christmas time. Uh, volume three, we'll discover how that story develops throughout the Old Testament. And then we'll move into how the story of the Gospels uh, comes forth. And we'll do that in the spring. And then finally, uh, later in the spring, we'll continue with the rest of the New Testament. Now, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. And we believe that it's inspired. And that's not in the sense that we find Shakespeare inspiring or the words of a great leader inspiring, but in the sense that, that the Bible is actually given to us from God and the, the words that it contains are God's words. And so when we discover this story, what we're discovering is God's story that he's, he's given to us. And that means that the Holy Spirit worked through several dozen men using their unique personalities, using their different writing styles, using three different languages in a span of three different millennia, and the Holy Spirit moved them along to write down the words to convey exactly what He intended to give us. His words. His story. And this means that the whole Bible is important, and we need to be careful how we handle it. And I believe one of the greatest misconceptions about the Bible is the belief that the God of the New Testament is this God of love, and the God of the Old Testament is this God of justice and wrath. Have you ever heard that before? Or, or since that, as you're reading through different passages? Sometimes the Old Testament just seems so far removed from us that we kind of assume that we're dealing with two different gods. At least that's what some people believe today. And I, I want to say this is absolutely false. God is a God of love and a God of justice who loves sinners but hates sin. And so we learn from Scripture that from the beginning to the end, God had a plan to become man himself in order to pay the price for sin and to take the full penalty of the wrath that we deserved. And whereas we're going to see, starting today and as we unfold through the Old Testament, that's really the message that we find all the way from the very beginning, that, that God is a God of grace that is dealing with sin, but, but he has a specific way that he has planned to do that, and it didn't change once Jesus got here, that was his plan from the very beginning. Another closely related misconception about the Bible is that salvation is different. That salvation in the Old Testament was a salvation that was by works, and salvation in the New Testament was this salvation that was by grace, through faith. And again, this is an absolutely false statement that, that I hope, as we see throughout this series, um, that it's been the same message of salvation from the very beginning. He has always been a God who gives men and women something that, that they don't deserve. His grace. And they receive it by faith. By believing God. That is, they, they trust what God tells them. And so salvation has always been a gift of God. And of course, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we look back on Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. But as we consider the story over this next 31 weeks, you'll, you'll hear me refer often to the We're going to talk about the upper story and and the lower story. As you read the Bible, you'll discover that there are two stories happening at the same time. 
Randy Frazee points out that the upper story is how things look from God's perspective up above. His viewpoint is panoramic, it's vertical, and it's, it's unlimited. He's looking down and sees it all from beginning to end. He can see not only around the next bend in the road, but he can intervene at any time he desires and controls things and change the outcome, and he does. But there's more. God is weaving all the lower stories to tell one grand epic story from above. Uh, put another way, uh, the upper story and the lower story are, are like two museums, two art museums. If you went to Paris, uh, you'd find the, the Louvre. It's this enormous collection of various kinds of, of paintings and art. And as you move from room to room, you, you discover all these different stories, all these different characters, all these different paintings and sculptures of, of scenes and people. And you might find yourself asking how all these different stories connect somehow. And you, if they even do, you'd probably be hard-pressed to find how they connect. The lore story is like the Louvre. Throughout the Bible, you're going to discover stories of thousands of individual people who were separated from one another by multiple centuries, multiple cultures, various languages. And if you read the Bible like you're visiting the Louvre, you might find yourself asking, how do all these different stories connect with one another? How does, how does, uh, what does Jesus have to do with Melchizedek? And how is Peter connected to Esther? And, and, and how does all this fit into one overall story? And if you just were looking at those characters, you'd be hard-pressed to find how there's a unity to it. But there's another museum in Rome. Uh, if you went to the, the Vatican Museum, uh, the end of that tour, you'd find, you come into this uh, chapel. We call it the Sistine Chapel. You'll find different kinds of, a different kind of masterpiece there. And there on the ceiling of this chapel at the Vatican, Michelangelo painted this glorious unfolding of, of these individual characters from the Bible. Each prophet and patriarch has its place in the mural, but uniting all of these lives into one grand story, one grand piece of art, is the God who is accomplishing his plan throughout all the ages. And there in the center of the ceiling, you find Michelangelo's portrayal of God creating Adam. And you see, the upper story is like the Sistine Chapel. In Scripture, God's story unites all the lower stories of individual people throughout history from beginning to end, and from his perspective, we can discover how he is telling this one grand epic story that ties all of it together into one beautiful mural. And here's something quite beautiful that goes with that. His story is continuing today. The Scripture has been completed, but your life, though it sometimes feels like a separate painting, that, that doesn't have a lot to do with all the others, your life is a part of the lower story. But from God's perspective, from above, from his viewpoint, he sees how it all comes together, and he sees how this grand plan on the upper story all fits in, and, and your life fits into what God sees. But in the Bible, God teaches us how the story is unfolding and how we can walk by faith and thus experience the blessings of our story being in line with his and so with that uh, let's pray together and let's spend the remainder of our time uh, discovering the beginning of the story father we we come before you we thank you for your word to us uh, we thank you for the um, the the way that you have you see it all your, your divine perspective 
We, we thank you that you're God that, that didn't just throw it all out there and you began things and created things and stepped back to see what would happen, but you were intimately involved in every detail of your creation, every detail of our lives, every detail of what we find in Scripture. And so my prayer is that through this series that you would teach us, that you would help us to discover um, how you have put your word together and how ultimately you've put the story together uh, that, your, that your word, the Bible, teaches us about. And I pray that each one of us would understand more intimately how our story fits into that overall story in which you are accomplishing great things for your glory and for our good. Please teach us now, we pray. Amen. Well, for a moment, I'd like you to wipe the slate clean. Forget what you know about Noah and Enoch and Adam and, and Abraham. I'd like you just for a few moments, put yourselves in the sandals of, of the Hebrews who had been living in Egypt for 400 years. The Hebrews were the first people to read Genesis as, as it was recorded by Moses. And so while you've been in slavery, you've been exposed to a lot of different theology, the theology of Pharaoh. The origin of your people and the lives of Jacob and Joseph and his brothers, they are as remote to you as slaves in Egypt as the pilgrims and King Henry VIII are to those people that are living in 2022. 400 years, your people have been in slavery. And so those stories of those patriarchs and those fathers are something way back for you. And for 400 years, your people have been exposed to these ideas in Egypt. In Egypt, you've learned to worship the gods of Egypt along with its pantheon of deities and demons which are served. You look at the sky, and you've been taught, and your forefathers have been taught for 400 years, that, that the sky is a manifestation of the goddess Nuit. You look at the land, and you and your ancestors have been taught that it's the manifestation of the god Geb, and separating them is Shu, the god who is manifested in the air. And riding in his chariot across the sky is the king of all the gods, a god named Ra. You look at his course across the sky where he dies every day and he rises every morning to new life, and he brings new light with another day, just like every other day of your life. And it's another day for you to work. It's another day for you to be a slave. It's another day for you to labor and toil without rest so that you can serve Pharaoh, who was taught was God living in human form. As the sun ruled over the sky, Pharaoh ruled over the land. He was the image of God, and, and his, law, his, his will was law. But then Moses teaches something different. All this, this theology that your, your, your fathers and ancestors had been exposed to for 400 years, God teaches something different. In the opening pages of the Bible, God tells us a different story. A different story about how it all began. And when we open to the pages of Genesis chapter 1, I invite you to turn there with me today because we are going to be in the Scripture. We're going to be in a, a lot of Scripture and we're going to be spanning a lot of different passages. Um, we'll hit on a few verses. But... Uh, in the very beginning, we find this beautiful song of worship, beautiful poetry, and, and, and we find these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a simple but profound statement. God, one God, created it all. He took what was formless and void, and he gave it form and he filled it. He created light and he called it day. He separated it from the darkness, which he called night. 
the sky which we look at above. It's not a goddess. God did that. He made it. It's the work of His hand. Same with the earth below. God made it. He formed the waters. He formed the land. He even formed the lights in the sky. And, and what the Hebrews discover, and they've probably been told by their ancestors who had passed down faithfully the word from their forefathers Abraham over those 400 years, but contrary to the message that they had been taught by their Egyptian, com- com- Egyptian contemporaries, was that those aren't all gods out there. Those planets and those stars, and that, those lights in the sky are not gods at all. But these are God's creation And he made the stars too, as if it was an afterthought. Oh, let's put some spice out there. And then he filled it all with birds and fish and animals. All of it the work of his creation. He spoke it, and it happened. And then we're told that that he makes the magnum opus of his creation. He made mankind, both male and female. He made them both in his image. In God's image. Not Pharaoh, not just one man being created in in God's image, but every man bears the image of God and was made to rule over creation. And we're here on this land to serve as his representatives, to rule over every living thing and to enjoy the plants that he caused to grow. If you go to the end of the chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, we're told that, that God saw all that he had made and he makes this declaration. He says, behold, it was very good. Tov ma'od. We're told each day it was good. It was good. But this, as he looked at all of it, it was very good. And then he rested. And so thus he set, us, uh, set apart a rest for us. Not every day for, is for work like, like the Hebrews had been forced to do in Egypt. He created us to worship him. And he gives us rest so that we can enjoy his beautiful creation and more importantly, so that we can enjoy him himself. And I know that today there's a lot of discussion about the timing of the details of creation. And I, I want to say this is an important discussion because God's word deals with a lot of details in these chapters. But, but I don't want you to miss the, the, the most important point of Genesis chapter 1. God did it. He did it. There's one God, and and all of it is His creation. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that we serve. The world was not created by the gods, plural. Man was not created because a God needed someone to feed him. And contrary to the common belief of our century, the, the world was not created by some chaotic accident that happened. It was not chance. It was not random. Your life is not chance, and your life is not random. But God did it all. And that's how the story begins. It starts with a big beginning. God did it, and with the psalmist we proclaim this. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19, verse 1. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In another passage, Psalm 95, 6, He says in another place, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our, our Maker. And so the Bible begins with a worship text. It begins with a song of praise, a beautiful account of the One who made it all and who we are called to worship. The One who said it was very good. 
In chapter 2, Moses, the, the human author of the first five books of the Bible, he tells us how God put man in the most ideal setting. He placed him in a garden which was lush with vegetation. You read the first few verses of chapter 2, we see it, was, it had lots of vegetation, it had lots of water, it had trees, it had food. It even had access to a land where the gold was good. And the man only had to obey one command. Can you imagine life like that? One command. You, you want to obey God? You want to have a right relationship with Him? How easy could that be? Right? One command. Just don't eat from that one tree. If you don't eat from that one tree, our relationship is going to be perfect, Adam. He was given one command. Adam, the first man, was given the freedom to eat from any tree except for one. Just think about the freedom of that. Think about the incredible provision that God had made. We're told in chapter 2 that there was only one thing that was not good, though. Adam was alone. And so God formed from Adam a partner. He caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, we're told. And he took from Adam his brain and he created woman. Nothing. Right? No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say that. Sometimes we probably think that. Watching My wife's away for a few weeks, and, and it, it makes me realize how, how much I miss my wife. It makes me realize how much I, uh, she does, but also makes me realize what a loser I am when she's away. I mean, I just kind of devolve into this state. state. Um, you know, I have kids, so I don't leave dishes all over the floor and everything, so things are at least somewhat clean. But uh, uh, no, he, he didn't form Eve from Adam's brain. He didn't create Eve from Adam's feet so that he could walk all over her. He created Eve from Adam's rib, the bone closest to his heart. He created her from his side because she would be a perfect complement that would come alongside Adam, that would complete him in every way. And so God gave Adam a companion. And when we come to the end of chapter 2, we see that, that everything was very good. And this is how our story begins. More than this, we see a glimpse of how the upper story and the lower story are supposed to work together. We see these two first individual lives and God working in this story and being in perfect relationship with the man and the woman. And we see that God wanted to be in relationship with man. He created us to be in relationship with him. We were made to worship him. And if we're not worshiping him, you're going to worship something else. And Adam and Eve quickly discovered that in their own lives. You see, this is what God wants for us. He desires to bless His creation and to give good things to the masterpiece of His creation, mankind, both male and female. He desires for us to live in perfect relationship with Him, a perfect relationship with Him in which we have fellowship and we worship Him. We can reflect His magnificence and we can experience the, this great joy because we're fulfilling what God made us to do. And that's what God wants for you. However, as we turn to the chapter 3, we find that a great tragedy happens. Mankind rejects God's story. You hear that? Mankind rejects God's story. We learn in Genesis chapter 3 that man in his weakness could not obey one command. 
Just one command. Adam, just don't eat from that one tree. And, and he was given this one instruction, but Adam and Eve ate from the one tree that God forbade them to eat after they were tempted by the serpent. And ever since then, every single one of us have been asking, why? <laughs> why did they ruin it for us? Why did they eat from the tree? And no, it wasn't an apple. All right? We have, that's, don't, don't trust everything that art tells you. The fruit was completely different nature. But, but here's the big idea of it. You see, we ask, we ask ourselves, what, what would have happened if Adam just wouldn't have eaten the tree? Couldn't he have just obeyed that one command? And, and we put a lot of blame on Adam and Eve. But the idea of it is, if, if you or I had been there, guess what? We would have made the same choice. We've done exactly the same thing. In our human weakness, apart from depending on God and trusting His plan, we would have rebelled against God's law. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And you see, Romans tells us that you're Adam. You and I are Adam. The serpent lied and said you will surely not die but sin separates us from god and like adam we would have made the same choice sin separates us we find that it it killed the perfect relationship that we had with our creator it killed the perfect relationship that adam and eve had in the garden and slowly but surely that sin continues its work in all of us and our bodies are in the process of death and decay we're all dying we're all moving towards that end. But more than that, something inside of us died the moment that they ate from that tree. And when you were born into this world, you were dead spiritually. And unless God gives you life, we already died. And so man fell when they rejected God's story. You see, God created us to be in relationship with Him. God created us to walk with Him, to know Him to worship him but we chose a different story adam and eve were driven out of the garden and though they were created for god's glory we find that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god the message we discover in these first three chapters is that not one of us meets god's perfect standard not one of us has has chosen god's story but that's not the end of it is it you see that could have been the end of the story We have God's upper story, and the moment they rejected God's story, God could have said, well, so much for that experiment. I'm done with these people. But there's a lot more in the Bible, isn't there? He didn't end at chapter 3. And I want you to notice in the second half of chapter 3, usually we read this chapter and we focus on what we've called the curse. Did you know that God did not curse Adam and Eve? Somebody pointed out that those who God blesses, he cannot curse. In this passage, God curses the serpent. He curses the ground. Now, God took away the enjoyment of the garden, uh, but he did not curse Adam and Eve. Instead, what we find is that within the curse of the ground and the serpent, God offers his grace to Adam and Eve. You see, the story starts off big. God created something marvelous and man ruined it by chapter 3. But immediately, right after this happened, God steps in and He has a solution. God sets a motion in plan that is going to unfold through all of Scripture. God sets a motion in plan to restore our relationship with Him. 
to bring things back to the way they were in the garden. He immediately sets in motion a plan to reunite the upper story with the lower story so that we can once again be restored to that relationship that he wants with us and that we need with him. In verses 14 through 24, we find God making provision for our sin. Uh, Let's just briefly read that together. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all of it, eat, eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so verses 14 and then continuing all the way to 24, we find God making provision for our sin. He takes them out of the garden because what would happen if they would have stayed in the garden? There was another tree there. You remember what that other tree was? We had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they did eat from, but there's also the tree of the tree of life. What would have happened if they would have eaten from the tree of life after that? They would have lived forever, but in, in their sin. Can you imagine living life like this, struggling with sin, struggling with this relationship that we want to have with our Creator, but we're not capable of having. There's this constant struggle that um, we're trying to live by faith, trying to walk with Him, many times failing, learning to depend on His grace, but always having sin in your life for eternity. How horrible would that be? And so when we see that God takes Adam out of the garden and, and removes him east of Eden, what it is is an act of God's grace in which he's saying, I, I don't want them to live forever like this. I'm going to have a plan to bring them back to relationship with me, and, and I've still created them for eternity, but, but not like that. And, and so what we see throughout this chapter is God's grace and God's provision for Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve saw that they were naked, we're told that they tried to cover themselves with leaves. Note that for all of their efforts, they, will, they were never able to completely deal with their problem. And for all of our efforts in this life, note that you will never be able to get rid of your sin by your own power, by your own methods. Like Adam and Eve, nothing that we achieve by our own merits will ever cover our shame. God has to provide a way in order for us to have a way back to God. God has to provide His grace in order for us to receive forgiveness. And if, we, if you notice in verse 15, it contains the first kernel of the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 15, we look at this passage and we think of this as the curse, but really, this is the first message, the first pointing to the gospel that is going to unfold throughout all of the Bible. Again, in verse 15, he gives us this first glimpse of his promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
You see, God tells the serpent that there is going to be war. Going to be war between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And Satan, the serpent of old, has been at war with mankind ever since. But there's a promise here that you can't miss. I don't want you to miss this because this lays a foundation for everything that we're going to discover over this next 31 weeks. Don't miss this because here lays the foundation of the story that we're going to see unfold both in Scripture and in your life, your story. He tells us that the serpent will receive a fatal blow. But the offspring of the woman, just he calls him him at this point, he, he says, you shall bruise his heel. You see, there, there's a promise of victory right here at the very beginning. God creates everything perfect. Man ruins it. But immediately God steps in and he says, I have a plan. I'm going to restore this relationship. And part of the way that I'm going to do that is through the seed of the woman. And there's a promise of victory. There's a promise that one will eventually come who is going to destroy the enemy. There's one who is eventually going to come and he is going to crush Satan under his feet. Though Satan bruises his heel. And so, right at the beginning, we see that God makes a way. And the one who eventually came was... Thank you. Somebody got it. Only one person got it, though. That's really disturbing. Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I want you to understand that the plan that Jesus would come was prophesied all the way back in the third chapter of Genesis. The one who eventually came was Jesus. He was dealt a blow by Satan, and Jesus was crucified on the cross. But Jesus rose from the dead, and by His death on the cross, He conquered sin. By His resurrection from the dead, He conquered death. And Satan has been crushed in defeat. And though he continues to fight right now and struggle for, for, for everything that he can, I want you to understand that Satan has already been defeated. And God prophesied that it would happen all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. So even, in the, even early in the story, we see God's grace. Again, what is grace? We're going to see it a lot, so I want us to understand what that term is. It's God giving us something that we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving something that we do deserve. We deserve God's wrath, but in His mercy, He doesn't give us that based because Jesus took that wrath upon Himself. Grace is God giving us salvation and forgiveness and justification and the Holy Spirit and everything that comes with your salvation that we don't deserve. And God lavishes grace out on those who trust what He says. In verse 20, we find God making garments of skin for Adam and Eve. And you have to ask yourself, wh where did those garments come from? They, they weren't from the trees, right? It says they were made from skin, so what happened? Something died. Something's blood was shed. There was a pattern that was set early on in which God established a system in which a substitute would lose its life so that man's sin would be covered. God told Adam and Eve, you're going to die if you eat from this tree. Spiritually, they died the moment they ate it. And eventually they died physically. But God made, put in place a system in which, in which um, sin would be covered. And God's people continued to shed the blood of bulls and goats to cover their sin until the perfect Lamb of God came to give His life in our place. And when Jesus died on the cross, He fulfilled that pattern. God provided His grace. And so God, get, God gives us His grace. 
that we don't deserve. And again, I want you to notice that even at the beginning of the Old, tel- old, the old Salvation, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying, at the beginning of the Old Testament, salvation has always been by grace. And this idea that, that people worked for their salvation and they obeyed the law and they did this and they did that and they did this and they did that and they followed the law of Moses and they, they did whatever God commanded them to do and somehow they earned their salvation by working for it, that is, that's never been the picture. All the way back in Genesis, people were being saved by grace through their belief in what God told them. Adam and Eve looked forward to the fulfillment of this promise. And salvation was by grace through faith. Looking forward to what one would eventually come. This Jesus. Even though they didn't know his name at the time. And so there was a life taken in their place. And God established a system of substitutes. God's people continued to shed that blood over the years until Jesus came. Salvation is always and always has been by God providing the way. That's God's grace. That is God's way. And this is God at work at the upper story. Briefly, I'd like to walk you through the next several chapters because we continue to see a cycle of man's failures and repeated displays of God's promise of grace being offered over and over and over again. In chapter 4, we find Cain and Abel, the sons of the first man and woman. We find Cain making an offering that God rejected. It didn't meet the requirements that God had given. And so we're told that Cain grew angry. Eventually, he killed his brother. And it would seem that the promise had died in the very first generation. Because one son is a murderer, the second son has been slain. How could the promise be fulfilled in these boys, these men? But at the end of the chapter, we find another son being born, and we're told that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, God's promise found a way, and His grace was extended to man. In chapter 5, we find a list of the generations from Adam to Noah, and, and the promise of the one to come was continued from one generation to the next. And so this promise was still being looked forward to, and, and as each generation came, there was this for, they looked forward to, when, when is this one that is going to come that's going to accomplish this victory? But in chapter 6, we meet man's failure again. We're told in chapter 6 that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil continually. But again, God displays his incredible, what's the word? Grace. God displays his grace. Even in his judgment of the world, in which he judged it by a great flood, God provided an ark. And he took Noah and his family And we're told that they were saved. The promise of grace continued on through Noah and his sons. In chapter 10, we find another list of the generations. And in chapter 11, once again, we're told of man's failure once more. God continues to provide his grace, but man continues to insist on writing his own story. In chapter 11, we find that the people of the earth, they came together. And they decided to build a tower, a great tower. This would be a tower that would reach to heaven, You see, they actually believed that they could reach God by their own works, by their own buildings, by their own achievements. And so God judged them again by confusing their language and scattering them over the whole earth. But but here's the problem that we find when we come to chapter 11. At the end of chapter 11, 
there's no promise of God's grace. The pattern seems to be waiting for the next promise, but doesn't come. Not yet. It just continues with another genealogical record of the descendants of Noah. So that leaves the question, as you come to the end of chapter 11, what's God going to do? In the garden, he had a solution. With Noah, in his world, he had a solution. In each step of the way, God has displayed his grace, and so now what's next? Which leads us to a very important person. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, we're told these are the generations of Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. And so we're introduced to the man who would follow God's promise. The man who God will call and one day rename Abraham. And so up to this point, Genesis is focused on God's dealing with the whole world. Man's failure has continued over and over, but God's grace in that upper story has been displayed again and again and again. And now God is going to choose one man who we're going to see how he responds in faith and how God is going to work through this one family. Some of you have already been reading through the life of Abraham in your scripture reading, and we'll continue to read through his life this next week. But I'd like to encourage you to read ahead, uh, and next week we'll discover his story. But I don't want you to miss one great truth as we close here. You are a part of the story. Just as God made provision for the first people who rejected God's story, God has made provision to also restore your relationship with him. God still wants to be in relationship with us. Eventually we'll see how God fulfills his promise that he made by becoming one of us himself. And I've kind of given you a teaser already some of you already know have spoilers you, you've read ahead uh, Jesus comes and he fulfills those promises but but how does all this fit together in between and I want you to understand that God has always been about fulfilling his promise and displaying his grace and he invites you to be a part of that story as well as your lower story meets this upper story and, and as you watch God's plan unfold in your life join me in prayer as we close today and let's just pray that god would use this time that we read his word together and this time as we discover uh, the story over this next 31 weeks father we we do come before you and we're so grateful for your your word we're thankful that that you've given us this book these 66 books of the bible that i know sometimes they, they feel quite separate to us just because we're so separated from it we're so we live so distantly in a, in a century far beyond when the last people wrote these these great works that you inspired father it's my prayer that you would help us to start to understand how all of these things piece together that that we would understand your message of grace which has been from the beginning that we would understand the message of substitution that that we are in need of salvation and, and that we owe a debt that that we can't pay we have to pay a penalty that, that we can't afford. But by your grace, you provided a substitute. You poured out your grace and invited us to come back into the story by trusting your way. We thank you for Jesus Christ who eventually fulfills all these promises that we're going to see throughout all of the Old Testament. We look back to his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and we believe you. Father, I pray that 
that you'd help us to discover this, your plan through the ages, and how we fit into that, that great plan. Glorify yourself in our lives, and we pray that you'd use this series to teach us, to grow us, and to help us walk with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.